Thank you. It's awesome to praise God, isn't it? My name is Bob Thomas, as many of you know. I'm the executive pastor here. I'm also the missions pastor, and because of that, I want to mention one thing to you. In your bulletin, there's an insert that looks like this. And um, Jim and Kathy are some of our international partners that we work with, and they'll be here uh, for a week or so. But on March 21st, you'll have the opportunity to hear them if you want. They're going to be speaking in Kid Stuff Theater that evening. But in order for you to come, we are asking you to please sign up and let us know you're coming because there's going to be some food and things, so we want to know ahead of time. So if you go out here at the worship center, there's a sign-up sheet. You can also sign up online, okay? So I don't want you to miss that opportunity, uh, so please take an opportunity to do that. And then the last thing I want to mention is Starting Point. There's one of these in your bulletin as well, and uh, you have to sign up for Starting Point uh, by Tuesday, so that's why I'm mentioning it this morning. Starting Point's a great opportunity for you if you've been coming for a little while, or maybe this is your first Sunday and you want to know more about Community Alliance Church It'll give you the opportunity to meet some of the pastors and learn more about us, okay? Maybe the first thing I want to say is congratulations for setting your clocks ahead and getting here on time. <laughs> because I can almost guarantee you there's going to be a lot more people in the second service than there are in the service. In fact, I was going to say how many of you turned your clocks ahead and see how many people raised their hand and then see how many people raised their hand in the next service. So really appreciate you uh, being here. As you know, last week, Pastor Denny started a, a new series entitled, It's All About Jesus. I had to write that down because I didn't want to get it wrong. It's all about Jesus. And I have the privilege of uh, continuing that series this morning. We're going to be actually in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And I will also tell you, you have sermon notes in your bulletin, and the passage is actually printed here uh, on, the, on your sermon notes if you want to take those. Certainly, you can use your Bible as well or your device, and it'll be up on the screen. We're just going to read that in, in just a moment. I want us to look at the story here. It's actually recorded, and by the way, just so you know, there's a typo on this, and it's my typo, so it says Mark 6, it's actually Mark 4, trust me, we're not playing around with God's word, so I just noticed that right now. Mark 4, uh, that we're going to be in, again, that was my fault. Um, the reason I, I chose to read this story out of Mark, it's actually found in three of the Gospels, but... Most Bible scholars agree that because of some of the words that were used and the details that were included, Mark was an eyewitness to what took place, what we're going to talk about this morning. In fact, what we're going to find out is Mark was in the boat with Jesus. And because of that, I chose to read it out of uh, the book of Mark. I think, it, I think knowing that gives, us, uh, gives the story a little bit more impact. So would you follow along with me as we read Mark 4, verses 35 to 41? That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We're just going to walk through these verses this morning and try to pull out some lessons that we can learn and apply to our own lives. Before we do that, let me give you a little bit of background. Mark 4 opens with Jesus teaching 
a bunch of people. He's teaching the crowds. And this is actually a pattern that you see throughout the Gospels. Often he teaches crowds publicly and then he teaches his disciples privately. And there's sort of, it's, it's kind of a rhythm that he, that he used often. He would teach for an afternoon or sometimes for an entire day and then his disciples would ask him questions about what he was saying or he would, he would show them some deeper meaning sometimes to what he was talking about. And that's what's happening throughout the, verse, uh, the verses preceding this story. Jesus is, is teaching. Because of the miracles that Jesus had been performing, he's at this point in his uh, ministry, he's drawing a crowd, right? Most of you know, uh, many of you know, I'm sure that the first miracle Jesus ever performed was turning water into wine, right, at a wedding feast. This story takes place probably a little more than a year after that. So he, it really isn't at the height of his ministry yet, but he is becoming uh, popular. He is he is uh, someone that people want to be around uh, quite a bit. And so people were following him. They might be following him just to see what would happen next. Some were following him actually to kind of oppose him, to, to be against him, to see what he would say to the Pharisees, or the Pharisees might say to him. And, and other people were, were really discovering, they were figuring out, Jesus wasn't like all these other teachers. There's something different about him, something special about him. And so they were really seeking the truth about him. Some people uh, not only opposed him, but they were sort of keeping tabs on everything he would say so they could go to the spiritual authorities, the Jewish spiritual authorities, again, the, the Pharisees, and, and they would kind of report back to them all the time. They were just trying to really cause conflict for Jesus. He, he and really, at this point, he was, a, he was often a spectacle. Now, he wasn't trying to be. Uh, the, the Gospels have lots and lots of examples where he actually takes steps to sort of get out of the public light and to try to get away from the crowds. But often they would find him again. There's several passages in Scripture that, in the Gospels that talk about that. Jesus tries to get away and, and the crowds find out where he is and, and they show up again. For whatever reason, people were following him. There were a lot of people following him. And so there were often crowds. Back in those days, they didn't have these little things called microphones, so there was no amplification, and so they looked for ways that, their, that any speaker really would look for ways for their voice to carry. If you've ever uh, been to a kind of an old amphitheater, you know, they, they often had a stage and sort of the, the, the seating went up, and it was often round, and that was just so that, you know, people could hear. What Jesus did often, and it's recorded in the Gospels, and he's doing it here in this story, and that's why I mention it, he would often, it says, go out, get in a boat and go out a little way from shore. And so what would happen is he'd get in a boat, he'd go 50 feet, 100 feet, depending on the size of the crowd, and then the crowd would sit along the shoreline or stand along the shoreline, sort of, you know, stack themselves back. It was just a natural way to amplify sound. His, his voice would carry along the water. And I mention that because, again, that's what he's doing. That's why he's in a boat. That's what he's, he's been teaching all day like that. And then we come to this story. So in this particular case... Uh, they're on the Sea of Galilee. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's not really a sea. It's a lake. But we know that's where they were. And then we come again to, to verse 35. I just want to go now through these verses a couple at a time. It says this. I just read this. That day when evening came, after teaching all day, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So Jesus is done teaching. He's exhausted. It's been a long day of teaching, a long, uh, exhausting day. 
And he says to his disciples, you know, let's, let's not go back into this shore line. We don't know exactly why he said that. Maybe, again, because of the crowd. He said, Let, let's go to the other side. And so they begin to go to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee, as I said, it's not a sea. It's a lake. Um, it's known by lots of different names. If you Google Sea of Galilee, you'll get all kinds of information about it. Um, it, it is, uh, but here's a couple things I found out. At its widest point, it's about eight miles across. Longest point, it's about 13 miles long. The deepest part, it's 140 feet deep. So it is not moraine. It is a little larger than that, right? This is a large lake, a large body of water. It was also known back then, and still today, uh, for its perilous storms that came up very quickly. The sea is actually below sea level, and so as the weather came in, it would very quickly, it could very quickly sweep into the lake and cause these very dangerous storms. And so as a result, the disciples, although they're experienced fishermen, they find themselves in a dangerous situation. Look at verse 37 and 38. It says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So the boat is in trouble. One of the things I like about this passage, there's some passages that are difficult to understand in Scripture. I didn't choose one of those today. It's pretty clear what's going on here, right? The boat is in trouble. A storm comes up, and, and the waves are high enough. They're coming into the boat, and there's a danger that the boat is going to sink. Jesus is asleep in the stern front of the boat. It could, have been, it could have been a little covering over the stern. We don't know exactly what kind of boat. It may have been open. We're not sure. When I read a passage like this, I, several questions come to my mind. And one of them, and I think this often, actually, when I read stories in the gospel, one of them is, what were the disciples thinking? Like, what's going through their, their minds? I think, at first, it makes sense. They're just saying, okay, well, let's get to the other side. Let's, let's, let's work. Let's get there. And so they may have been rowing. There may have been a little sail. Again, there may have been no wind when they started and a lot of wind all of a sudden. And so they're focusing on getting to the other side. But pretty soon it becomes evident from this passage that they're not that much worried about getting to the other side. They're worrying about keeping the boat above water. That became their focus. At some point, it's clear that they recognize that Jesus is asleep in the boat. And again, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, are they thinking man, he's a deep sleeper? I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they were kind of frustrated with him. I mean, they might be thinking, hey, Jesus, this is kind of like an all-hands-on-deck sort of situation, and you've got hands and they're not on deck. You know, I don't know exactly. It's all conjecture. But clearly, they, they had to be, you know, we have to remember, they're not, they're not different than us. I mean, they're human beings. What were they, what were they thinking? Maybe they were frustrated with him for being the one who in the first place said, let's go to the other side. You know, maybe, because I can imagine me being the person who said, you know, if we went back to that shore that was 100 feet away, we wouldn't have this problem. Like, I don't know exactly what they were thinking. But what we do know is this. When they went to wake him up, their words recorded, again, in three Gospels, but the specific words recorded here in Mark, they carry really a tone of panic and also uh, of frustration. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, those aren't calm individuals. Those aren't people that, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of blaming Jesus. Like, wake up. Don't you care that we're dying here? 
So, so I don't know all that they were thinking, but we know that when they spoke to him, they were upset. They were frustrated. And, and again, I often think of the disciples, and I think when I read stories like this, you know, guys, have you not been paying attention? Like, do you, do you not see all that Jesus has done already for you and for others? Do you not see all the miracles that he's done? I mean, do you, like, are you, do you, do you not get it? This is God in the boat with you. What's the problem? Often, when I think that about the disciples, God reminds me of someone else. Someone else who has all the proof they need about who God is. Someone else who, even with that proof, can begin to doubt sometimes. Does God really, does he, is he paying attention? Does he really care? Does he know what's going on? I mean, can he, can he help out at all? Here's my confession to you. That person is me. I can think that very quickly, very easily in my life. I don't know if you've felt that way at times as well. I can look back on my life and I can see all the amazing things God has done for me, the, the opportunities he's provided, the friends he's given, the, the finances he's, he's provided. He's provided jobs and, again, phenomenal travel opportunities. I mean, incredibly blessed. And I can praise him for that. And then, like, two months later, or, or two weeks later, or two days later, sometimes two hours later, I can think, you know, something happens, right? Something unexpected that I don't want in my life. Things start to go a direction that, that I don't want them to go. People start to say things that I, that I don't appreciate. And I can begin to think, God, do you, are you paying attention? Do you care? C can you not do anything? It can happen that quickly. I'm sure that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me occasionally. So it's amazing that the disciples can forget all that Jesus has done for them. But it's even more amazing that I can forget. We can forget all that he's done. And, and it's really even more amazing that we forget because we have all of God's word. We have the Old Testament, which they did, and the New Testament. We know already about Jesus' death and his, sorry, his life and his death and his resurrection. At this point, the disciples, they were still trying to figure that out. They, they didn't know, they didn't have all the facts. Clearly, we know by the end of their lives, they do get all the facts. And it radically changed their life. In fact, it really changed the entire world. But even though we know all that, we can still reach the wrong conclusion sometimes, that God doesn't care or he can't do anything to help. So in your sermon notes, there's a question. It says, have you ever felt as though God doesn't care about you or can't do anything to help you? Because I want you to understand this morning, if you're here and you really feel like I just described, you feel like, and you feel this sort of all the time or most of the time, God really doesn't care, God doesn't know what's going on, God can't do anything to help me. This is what I, I want you to hear. And I want to say this lovingly and with compassion. But you're wrong if that's what you think. It's plain and simple. Scripture makes it really clear that God cares about us. You, me, the person beside you. Cares about us enough that he, he really he sent his son, think about it, from a perfect place that we really can't imagine to come to this broken world, to be born as a little baby, to live a life, and then he allowed himself, as we know, to be beaten, crucified, and killed on a cross. That's how much God cares about you. And scripture's really clear. He knows every detail of your life. It, it, it says in, in one, of, uh, again, one of the gospels, as Jesus is teaching, he says, even if a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows it. 
He knows everything. There's another place where it says he, he has the hairs of our head numbered. Granted, that number's lower than it used to be for some of us. But he knows. He knows. And he's able to help. There's three lessons that I think we can learn from these just couple verses from the disciples that we can apply to our own lives when sort of unexpected things happen. So look at your sermon notes. Again, these are, some of these are quite simple, I hope. First, don't panic. Don't panic. Instead, when anxiety comes and we're, we're tempted to let it overrun us, stop. Stop and look backwards. Remember what God has already done in your life. Again, in your sermon notes, remember the times God has been faithful. Remember those times that he's come through. And that can stop that panic process. Looking back can change our perspective. And, and, and this changing our perspective means that we look at something differently. You guys have that slide which I sent to you and haven't talked to you about it since. That was about five days ago. Um, so if they, there it is. So who's right? Our perspective changes what we see, doesn't it? It changes what we see. It's a simple cartoon, profound message. So, so the, as, we, as we look back and our perspective changes, it can help us to realize that maybe our current situation, our current circumstances, maybe, maybe they're not as bad as I thought they were. Maybe I don't have to let panic come in as I look at things from a, a bit of a different perspective. But that perspective is gained by looking back and seeing what God has done in our lives, how he's been faithful. It's one of the things I thought of as I was preparing this message. I mean, think about it. Whatever it is you've gone through in the past, you've clearly survived because you're here, and so am I. That doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. doesn't mean it wasn't hard. doesn't mean that some of what you went through is, is still showing up in consequences in your life. So I'm not trying to make light of that. But really, you're still here. God's still at work in your life. Don't forget that as you see something new that can cause you anxiety and panic. Remember, God brought me through in the past. He'll do it again. Second lesson in your sermon notes, pretty profound. Ask Jesus for help. Ask him for help. The disciples, we've already talked about it, they didn't really do it that well. They didn't have the best attitude, quite frankly, but they finally went to Jesus and said, help. It's a great prayer. If you don't know what to pray, it, that's a good one. Help. And we need to do the same thing. In your sermon notes, it says, Jesus is the source and supplier of all that we need. It's amazing how often we simply don't ask him for help. We just don't. I believe one of the main reasons is actually the third lesson that we can learn from this section. It's in your sermon notes as well. The third lesson I think that we can learn from this passage is don't try to solve the problem on your own. Don't try to solve the problem in your own strength, based on your own abilities, your own experience. And I think we do this. I know I can still do it in my life. Think about the disciples. Uh, they were fishermen, I guarantee you. This wasn't the first time they were in a boat in a storm. They, they, they knew how to handle a boat, right? And so 
when the situation starts to, hey, the storm's starting to come up, they, they, they apply themselves. And then the storm gets worse. And what do they do? They try harder. I mean, they, 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 they dig in there like, we know how to solve this problem. And eventually, as we said, they go to God, they go to Jesus when they're desperate. And, and think, think about this, as I, I thought about this in my own life. Think about something that you're good at, that you're better than most people at. Could be a hobby, some kind of skill. You got it in your head? How often do you ask for help from someone else in that area of your life? Probably not very often. Now think of something, if you're like me, this list is quite long, that you don't know anything about. That you really don't know much about at all. How often do you ask for help in that area? So here's the example that came to my, to my brain when I uh, was thinking about this. Cars. I don't know anything about Cars. In fact, I tell people, I know how to turn the key, and when that step doesn't work, I call my mechanic. Like, that's it. And then, as I thought about it this week, actually, I'm not giving myself enough credit. I can put gas in it. I can put windshield washer in it, both my car and my wife's, and I can put air in the tires. Okay? That is the length and breadth of my ability to handle cars. Okay? But this is, this is what happens. And again, some of you, I had these conversations with some of you, so I apologize ahead of time. I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm driving to work. Oh, yeah, my car was making a noise. What kind of noise? Uh, I don't know, kind of a, you know, and then I try to be silly and describe the noise. It's a rumble. It's, it sounds, it sounds like this. But, oh, and, and, and again, God bless all of you that know about cars because they'll be like, oh, you know, that, that's probably the rotors. Okay. <laughs> you know, no, that sounds like a stabilizing bar. Yeah, okay. You know, oh, it could be the piston rings. This is what I hear. And again, I apologize. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Call your mechanic. Like, that's all I hear. Right? It's like the Charlie Brown. It's like the adults in Charlie Brown, right? Because I don't know what you're saying. It's not that I don't want to know. Actually, I don't want to know. Please don't tell me you're going to tell me about cars. I have a mechanic. That's what I call him for. I just don't know anything. So it's not hard for me at all to ask for help. Now, if I have a problem with my computer, whole different story. I have some education in computers. I have some background. I have some experience. I've fixed a lot of computers. Sometimes other people's that I didn't really want to fix, but I fixed them. But I know some people in this very room, two of them are sitting back there, Grant and Jason. They know way more about computers than I'll ever know. But I don't call them. I fix it myself. <laughs> and if it gets harder, I work harder. I'm going to fix it. I mean, if I have to, I'll Google it before I call those guys. <laughs> that's, that's just... That's kind of my pride, right? I'm going to fix this problem. Unfortunately, we can do the same thing with God. We don't go and ask for help. It's tragic. In your sermon notes, it says this. The more we know about something, the more, we, we, the more experience we have, the more likely we are to not ask for God's help, to not cry out to him, to not go to him and see what he desires, what his direction is. So the lesson is don't try to solve the problem for a while and then a little more and then a little more and then eventually go to God. Don't do that. Ask him first. At the first sign of uncertainty, the first question we have, ask for his wisdom, his guidance. If we do that, we can save so much trouble in our lives, so much pain, so many consequences. We need to go to him first. 
So the story continues in verse uh, 39. So they wake him up. It says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus wakes up. He says three words, and the crisis is over. A storm that had veteran fishermen kind of literally scared to death ends in three words, instantly. The truth is, he didn't need the three words. They're really for our benefit and for the disciples' benefit. He, the God of the universe in human form, Jesus, speaks three words. And the winds and the waves have no choice but to obey him. That's the God that we serve. It, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't an effort. It wasn't a big struggle. He just said three words. And then in verse 40, Jesus talks to the disciples. He asks them a question. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus understands if they really knew and believed who he was, if they really knew he was God in the flesh, they, they wouldn't have been afraid. They wouldn't have been worried at all. It's clear that by this time, he kind of, uh, he, he expected, he hoped that they would really understand, they'd get it, they'd understand who he was. And throughout the Gospels, you'll see that at different times, he sort of, he sort of reprimands the disciples saying, you know, don't, don't you know who I am? He kind of expects them to know. But certainly he's always patient and loving with them. But obviously we know in the end, and they do understand, as I said. He, they understand and it changed their lives and it changed the world. The fact that they don't fully comprehend that we see in verse 41. It's, they say, who is this? I mean, they're, kind of, they're kind of amazed. They're kind of freaked out, really. Even the winds and the, the waves obey him. Again, I think we can draw a couple of lessons uh, for our own lives. If you look in your sermon notes, it says, really as a statement, God is almighty. He's in complete control of all things in our lives. All things in nature, all the people we know, all the nations of the world, all the leaders of those nations, he is in control. I think in knowing this and, and believing it allows us to be calm in the midst of difficulties, right? In the midst of unexpected things. Now, it's easy to say that. I'll just be calm because of who Jesus is. But it can be difficult when those difficulties, uh, when those circumstances, uh, when the storms of life, if you will, come up in our lives. So, so here's what I want you to know. I want to share one thing with you that I think and I, I'm just convinced of it. It'll make it possible for you to turn to God and trust him when these things happen in your life. It's in your sermon notes. In order to trust God when unexpected things happen in your life, build into your life the habit of spending time with God each day. We've got to build that habit into our lives. It could be 10 minutes. It could be an hour if you have that much time. Doing that does two things. First, in your sermon notes, it helps us to know him more and more intimately. Know him more and more intimately. And what that does is it, it strengthens our relationship with him. It strengthens our faith so that when troubles come, we're able to respond properly. We're able to go to him. 
Here's the second thing that it does for us. If we have a habit of spending time with God, then, then when something comes up, we're going to spend time with him when that happens as well. So let me, let me flesh this out a little bit. If, if you come to church, and obviously you did today, so I'm glad you're here. If you come on, on a regular basis, maybe you're here every Sunday, maybe you're here every couple Sundays, and, and we do our best, right? We're in God's word, so that's awesome. But if aside from this, you kind of maybe spend a couple days a month in God's word, maybe you have a, you know, when I say spending time, I really think it's a couple minutes of praying to God, show me something from your word this morning, and then, then we, we read God's word. That's, that's, it's not complicated. It takes discipline. In fact, if you're not sure how to do that, we've, there's all kinds of apps out there. We've got some tools to help you. You can call the office and ask for Keith or ask for me. You can come up afterwards. I've got a couple on my phone I can show you. There's lots of ways to do that. But if we if that's not a habit, it's not a priority, and you sort of do that, like I said, every once in a while, then when, when difficulties come in your life, you're naturally going to try to solve the problem on your own. Because you're not talking to God on a regular basis. You're not in his word. You're not growing. You're just kind of going about your life by yourself most of the time. And so you're going to stay in that habit. But if you make that a priority, and you're just regularly, consistently, daily or almost daily, spending time with God, then when something unexpected happens, you're going to very naturally go to him. You're going to ask for his, again, his direction, his help. Very important. Begin now to build that habit. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to mature as a believer, that's the number one, I'm convinced, the number one thing you can do to make that happen in your life. Last lesson that I want us to see. It says the disciples were terrified. That word really means they were in awe. They were amazed. In your sermon notes, this is important for us to remember. It's possible for us to forget what a mighty God we serve. The Bible uses words like holy and righteous and awesome. The beginning and the end says he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. In your sermon notes, it says, we should be in awe of who God is. Yes, he's our friend and our father. Praise God for that but he's also a holy God worthy of our respect and our awe. The words awe and fear are actually synonyms. It's really saying we need to have a healthy fear of God. He's an almighty, holy God. And he's a creator. He's in control, right, of all things. The one God of the universe. And we need to take time to worship him to make sure we have a healthy fear, to be in awe of him. A few months ago, Denny led us through the book of Revelation, and when I was thinking about this idea of being in awe of God, the book of Revelation came to my mind, and there's a couple of verses I want to read to you out of Revelation 4. Just think of this picture of who God is. 8 to 11, it says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, and here's the description of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, then there's another group, the 24 elders. They fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. 
And we're just going to end this morning with a couple minutes of worship. But listen to Hebrews 12. It says this, Since, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. That's the same God that was in the boat with the disciples. That's the same God that we have access to because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. We can enter into his presence when we pray. The amazing truth of scripture. So that reality should just lead us to worship in awe of who God is. And I couldn't think of a better way this morning than to end doing just that, worshiping him in awe. Pray with me, and then we'll worship God together. Father, thank you that you are a holy, holy, holy God who loves us beyond anything we can measure. Would you give us the ability just now to worship you with awe because you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name.